Good to see you all here tonight. Thanks for returning for our evening message. Thank you to each one who participated in our service tonight. We uh, appreciate it very much. In these past few weeks, we've been considering life after death, and I said that I was going to focus our attention not on that intermediate state where Uh, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but I was going to focus on the resurrected state of man, that future time in which our our bodies are actually raised from the dead. So we began by asking two questions that actually are raised in the book of 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and that is, how are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Well, the answer to the first part, how are the dead raised up, is short and sweet. And it is by the power of God. God is able to do it. And that explains it. That uh, the Almighty God, the creator of heavens and earth, certainly can, uh, the one who's given us our bodies in the first place, the one who formed Adam from the dust of the earth, certainly can raise our dead bodies. So how is it possible? Answer, by the power of God. So... With what bodies, then, do they come? What is that resurrection body like? So I looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and noted that the resurrection body is similar to the present body, but yet different. And there were a number of metaphors and illustrations that are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to talk about how a body is the same and yet different. Use the example of a seed being sown. It is placed in the ground, and from it comes fruit, from it comes a flower, a plant, a tree, whatever the case may be, whatever that seed is, that uh, seed that germinates, and that which comes from it is of the same ilk. So to our resurrection bodies. Uh, They are similar but yet different. Uh, The Uh, The example is used of the sun and the moon and the stars. And it says they differ from one another in glory. So there is a glory to our earthly body. We know that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. But our resurrection body is going to be even more glorious. It's going to be even more tremendous than the bodies that we now have. But we emphasize that it is the body that is in the grave that comes out of the grave. And so the next week we looked at Christ's resurrection body for the book, uh, for the New Testament tells us that our bodies are going to be fashioned like his resurrection body. So we looked at the resurrection appearances with the emphasis on what was his body like. Then we noted first and foremost that which is extremely clear is it's a body of flesh and bone. Uh, it is the body that was in the grave, that came out of the grave, 
And if you remember, he invited Thomas to place his hands into the very nail prints of Jesus' hands and in the actual wound in his side. So it was the body that was in the grave that came out of the grave. We saw that it was a recognizable body, that they certainly knew that it was Jesus when they, they saw him. We also saw that it was a body that could eat food, even as Jesus ate with his disciples in his resurrected body. And so from that, we said that probably those passages uh, in the book of Revelation that talk about our feasting, uh, we can take literally, that that will be a time of rejoicing. And I said that uh, now we uh, some people live to eat, uh, and then other people eat to live. Well, in that state, we won't eat to live, but we'll live to eat. It'll be a, a time of just rejoicing in the bounty and goodness of God. We also uh, said that uh, Christ's body uh, seemed to be mystical in a sense. He could walk through doors, he could walk through walls, and I said that I'm not sure that that was a product of his uh, resurrection body, but more the fact that he is the Son of God. And uh, as he could do things in his earthly body that we could not do in our earthly bodies, such as walk on water, so too, probably in his resurrection body, he can do things that we won't be able to do in our resurrection body. So I'm not so sure we're going to walk through walls and we're going to be able to walk through closed doors. But uh, we are going to have an incredibly glorious and wonderful body. Tonight, I'm going to focus very, very narrowly on the subject of when does the resurrection take place. This probably is going to end up a, a bit uh, short tonight. Reason being, uh, as I worked on this handout, uh, once it got to be 14 pages long, I realized that that's, that's a bit much. And uh, so I, I cut it into to sections uh, to look at various things. Uh, so tonight is kind of an introduction uh, to um, the future resurrection. And I've limited it to... The, st- the question of when does the resurrection take place, divided into two questions. When does the resurrection for the believer take place? And when does the resurrection of the non-believer take place? For both, believer and non-believer will receive resurrected bodies. Theme, the resurrection of believers and the resurrection of non-believers takes place at different times. So that the believer is resurrected at a time different from and separate from the non-believer. So first, the resurrection of the believer. The resurrection of the believer does not take place immediately upon death. 2 Corinthians 5, 6. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight, we have good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So there will be a time after we die in which our bodies are either cremated or destroyed or placed in a tomb, but our spirit continues on. And I said that our spirit or soul is the real essence of who we are, our mind, our emotion, our will, our intellect, that which we are able to relate to, that which we are able to converse with, that which... uh, makes us vital in relationship to one another, is actually our, our spirit. Certainly, 
Uh, everyone that's been at a funeral realizes that you can't have an interaction or a relationship to a corpse. It just lies there. It is a shell, if you will, that houses the real us. And I talked about God being a spirit, a disembodied spirit. But that doesn't make him any less real because he's a disembodied spirit. Uh, He is a true person. And we will continue on in our personhood, but in a disembodied state. So we are looking at when does our spirit and body reunite? When does that resurrection take place? B. The resurrection of the believer's body will take place at the Lord's return. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, a euphemism for death, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Again, a euphemism for death. Those people who have died, it says that when Jesus returns, he brings with them, with him. He brings them with him in their spirits. Uh, Their spirits have gone to be with him. When he returns, he brings with him the spirits of the believers who have died. Then verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of God, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who are fallen asleep. Again, a euphemism for death. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. It's speaking of the physical resurrection. It's speaking of their bodies being raised from the dead. At that time, when the Lord returns, there's going to be a resurrection of the body in which the body and spirit or soul are reunited. Are reunited. C. The believers will receive their resurrection bodies uh, just before the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So notice they come to life prior to the millennium, and then they reign with Christ for a thousand years. Next week, I want to unpack that thought of the millennium and why that's so important and why the resurrection is important. I want to delve into that at some length. Tonight, I just simply say that the resurrection takes place prior to the millennial kingdom. And it is the reason why our bodies are resurrected. They They are resurrected to live on this earth in a fashion much like we would live now. And so those bodies are resurrected in order to live on this earth. D. The believers who are alive at the time of the Lord's return will immediately receive their glorified bodies 
which is the same as the resurrected bodies of those who have died. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Number one, even though those believers are physically alive and will not die when Christ returns, nevertheless, when Christ returns, they will receive glorified bodies, same as those with resurrected bodies. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So when the Lord returns, there are going to be believers alive at that time. Those believers are not going to experience death. But those believers are going to have a transformation of body. So when the Lord returns, the people who are still alive are going to receive their glorified bodies, which is the same as a resurrection body. It's just that we skip the death aspect. We skip the time in which the body is separate from the spirit because that change of body will be instantaneous. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. Referring to those who are still alive. So in an instant, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in a split second, at the sound of a snap, there's going to be that, that change for those people who are alive when Christ returns. And they receive their glorified bodies. Three, the change in body will be dramatic. A, the resurrection body will not decay. In a moment, a twinkling of an eye at the last trump, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. Imperishable, meaning that it won't decay. That which is perishable. We think of perishable fruits because they are fruits that decay rather rapidly. Uh, bananas. Uh, you can't keep bananas very long. They, uh, they spoil quickly. They are a perishable fruit. But, but the resurrection body, and let me just say that is true of all resurrection bodies. Believer and non-believer alike. It is a imperishable body. And that's a very sad thought. It's a wonderful thought for the believer, but it's a sad thought for the non-believer because it will never decay. It will never grow old. The uh, fires of hell are not going to destroy the body of the non-believer at all. It will be an imperishable body. Uh, someone asked me last week, uh, will the resurrection body be able to experience pain? And I said, yes, it will. It will. The, it is not the quality of the body that makes the distinction between no more pain and sorrow and death, etc., but it's rather state. Um, we, as believers, will know no more pain and no more sorrow, but it will be because of the condition that we're in, the environment, if you will. We are going to be in a situation in which our bodies will not need to experience any pain 
or sorrow or heartache. It will be an ideal situation. A non-believer that has a resurrection body that is like our resurrection body is going to know pain, is going to know suffering, is going to know hardship. But the flip side of that is that we're going to experience joy and we're going to experience satisfaction and we're going to experience delight. So these bodies are going to experience sensation. But for the believer, only positive sensations. For the non-believer, only horrific and terrible sensations. B, the resurrection body will never die. For this, perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, it will never cease. The resurrected body not only will never decay, but it will never, never die. It will never be destroyed. It will know no end. We will exist for all eternity future. Now, that's a mind-boggling thought, but that's the case. We are given eternal life, and uh, it is everlasting life. And we will endure forever and ever and ever. And we who know in this world a life that is approximately 70 years, uh, according to the scriptures, uh, it's mind-boggling to think that we'll exist forever and ever and ever. But you realize then that that future state is much more significant and important than this state. This is but a moment. This is... Uh, scripture says it's like grass that withers. It's like a vapor. It's, it's poof. We're here and we're gone. But the next state is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Four. The resurrection is an association with a conquering of sin and death. First Corinthians fifteen fifty four. But when the perishable will put on imperishable and this mortal will put on immortality... Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. The last enemy for Christ to destroy is death. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. And so that is the great and final triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ, which I'm going to say a great deal more about next week. So, number two, the resurrection of the non-believers. The non-believers are not resurrected until the end of the millennial reign of Christ. Revelation 20, verse 5. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So there are two resurrections. The first resurrection before the millennium. The second resurrection, which is the resurrection of non-believers, comes at the end of that thousand year reign. Revelation 26 to 10. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in this first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. That's referring to the unregenerate, the non-believers who are alive at the beginning of the at the beginning of the millennium so the non-believers that are alive at the time in which Jesus 
returns, enter into the millennium. And they are the people that are ruled over. I'll say much more about that next week. I keep promising next week, but uh, come back next week. Everything you want to hear will be, no, no. But uh, much more detail. Verse 9, And they came up in the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the company of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That's the unregenerate. And so then they are killed. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. B, the non-believer will be judged at that time. Verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne. So the dead now are these non-believers. Non-believers through all generations, through all time, including those that now have just died in the millennium. So all believers, all non-believers, from the time of Adam until the time of the end of the millennium are going to be raised. Small and great, meaning those with little influence or power and those that have been kings. It matters not the authority that they once had on this earth. Uh, they are all are going to be in the same boat. Uh, their riches, their power, nothing is going to avail them uh, a recourse in this time of judgment. We are kind of accustomed to people of power and uh, wealth getting away with uh, literally sometimes murder. Uh, in this court system of ours. Uh, there is a great deal of unfairness in meeting out, quote-unquote, justice between the poor and the rich, but not the case in God's judgment. Uh, there will be perfect justice, and it will not matter if one is rich or poor. So, verse 12, I saw the dead, the small and great, Standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. At that time, sin and death will finally be destroyed. And death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Um, remember, 1 Corinthians 15 uh, said that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Here is the destruction of death. The word destroyed doesn't mean to be annihilated. It means to be ultimately and finally conquered. And so, uh, death is going to be, to be conquered. Going back and reviewing ground that I laid. Remember, I said to you, the death never means non-existence. Death in the scripture is always separation. Physical death is separation of body and soul. Soul continues on, body goes to the tomb. That's physical death. Spiritual death is the separation of soul from God.
In Revelation 20.14, it says, They were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. This is the ultimate and final separation of the non-believer's spirit and body from God. The non-believer stands in the presence of God for judgment. But they are going to be banished, banished from the presence of God. Now, those of you who are sharp will remember when I was teaching on the attributes of God, I said that God is omnipresent and God is everywhere. If I make my abode in heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, Behold, thou art there. And I said that if we think of hell as being the presence of the absence of God, we don't have it exactly right. What it is, is the absence of God's love and grace and mercy. And it is the presence of of God's wrath. Satan doesn't rule over hell. God does. Satan is himself experiencing judgment. He is thrown into the bottomless pit. He he himself is not sitting in hell and and rejoicing over all the the people that he has deceived and who are lost. He himself is, is inflicted. But it will be the last time in which a non-believer is going to experience any of God's grace and mercy. You understand in this life, the believer is not, the non-believer is not totally, totally forsaken of God. His reign, his reign falls on the just and the unjust. God is, quote, good to the believer in this, excuse me, the non-believer, in this present existence. People talk about a hell on earth. There's, there's no such thing. Nobody has experienced that. The only one that has experienced the forsakenness of God is Jesus on the cross. Nobody has, has experienced a total forsakenness of which God's mercy and grace has been totally withdrawn from them. But the non-believer will know that in the future. And all they will know is the wrath and justice of God. So D, now death is completely swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. But when this perishable will put on imperishable, this mortal will put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Revelation 21, 1 to 4. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no longer any death. 
There should no longer be any mourning, crying, or pain, for the first things have passed away. This new heaven and new earth, which comes at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. God dwells on this new heaven and new earth. And uh, I believe that new earth is just like our resurrected bodies, this earth, but different. It's a continuation, uh, just like our resurrected bodies. It is going to be a transformation of the earth in which we now live. And God is going to dwell with his people. We're going to have a a conscious awareness of God. We're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we are going to be in this idealistic paradise that I will say more about in weeks to come. Forever and ever and ever. That is our future hope. And that's what we look forward to in our resurrected bodies. Don't usually take questions on a Sunday night. But I have five minutes. If there is something that uh, confuses you, it probably confuses everybody. Does anybody have any questions or comments about what I've said? Yes, Cece. Okay, I'll talk about it in the future. Okay. Promise them the future. Yes. Anything else that I'm going to just slough off? Yes. If not, enjoy a few minutes extra. Let's pray.